If you are looking to elevate your leadership and drive your nonprofit forward, I invite you to subscribe to the Successful Nonprofits newsletter. Every week, I curate exclusive shareworthy content that sparks inspiration, innovation, and conversation. From the latest trends to timeless advice, the weekly email newsletter is your all-access pass to a treasure trove of resources. But receiving the newsletter is not just about staying informed. It's also about getting our best content first. Subscribers get first access to our newest downloadable templates designed to propel your leadership and amplify your impact. And that's not all, my friend. We are constantly working on new ways to support you and your mission. So as a subscriber, you'll get updates on our latest projects, opportunities to participate in surveys, and to say in the topics that we tackle next. You will essentially get me as a consultant, coach, and confidant in your inbox, ready to help you navigate the challenges of nonprofit leadership. So if you're an executive director, board chair, or a nonprofit leader who believes in making a difference, join me as a newsletter subscriber. Visit SuccessfulNonprofits.com forward slash newsletter to sign up today. And now, friend, let me take you to the episode you've downloaded. Welcome to the Successful Nonprofits Podcast. I'm your host, Dolph Goldenberg. And friends, we are getting ready for an incredible conversation with Natalie Fisher about launching your organization's first big expo or conference. Now, let me tell you a little bit about Natalie. Natalie is an out trans woman who is a leader in the LGBTQ plus community in North Carolina and also a serial entrepreneur. When I say she's a leader in the LGBTQ plus community, she's been an officer of a significant organization in that community. And when I say she's been a serial entrepreneur, she has started multiple for-profit businesses, but also with the organization that she's been a part of has helped them start some really important entrepreneurial projects as well. I first met Natalie while the interim executive director at the LGBT Center of Raleigh, because Natalie was an officer with Harmony, the North Carolina LGBT plus allied chamber of commerce. And she reached out to me and was like, Dolph, I got to talk to you about this expo we're doing called Pride Life Expo. So I also just need to share with you that while being the driving force behind the Pride Life Expo, she was also running her own business, Sticky Life. And we're going to talk about Sticky Life at the end, but I'll share with you, I've actually become a customer of Sticky Life and love, love, love what they produce. Hey, Natalie, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much for having me. So Natalie, I have to describe when I walked into the expo room. I walked in, and it wasn't just a room. It was rooms, plural. It was at a convention center at a local university. And every room was filled with booths. And every booth had a community business or a community organization. And there were thousands of people. And I got there like right as it started. There were already thousands of people in the facility who literally were going from booth to booth to learn more about community-based businesses and also community-based organizations. And I know there are a ton of organizations out there that want to start something big, 
that want to start their own expo or their own conference, and they're not sure where to start. And I feel pretty confident that your story did not begin on that day when I walked into the room. It probably began years before that. Oh, most definitely. Um, Lots of work went into the expo to get us to where we were at. And so share with me, what was that first moment that caused you all to say, hey, maybe we should do something big? You know, I think a lot of it came back to when we were a social networking club. We recognized that we needed to transition over into our chamber role that was handed down to us from the North Carolina or the NGLCC, which is the National Gay and Lesbian Chamber of Commerce. Um, So we needed to increase our directory and grow our services for the community uh, to take on that, you know, that adventure. And so let me ask you some questions about that. My first question, you said you all were essentially a social club and I know you were a nonprofit, but I know a lot of nonprofits kind of start the way you did. What did you look like as a social club? So prior to the chamber, we were the RBPN, Raleigh Business and Professional Network. We provided socials once a month and dinners once a month, uh, which allowed LGBT business owners from the community to get together, have discussions and learn from each other. Um, Our dinners had guest speakers, and that was pretty much what we offered at the time. Got it. Now now I think I understand the social club comment because you all were kind of a closed system. Like, yeah, anyone could come and join, but you were not doing a lot that went outside of your organization. It was really an organization designed to support the, the people who joined. That's correct. Got it. And so... What happened that made you all as an organization decide on the expo? I know you said that you joined the National Gay and Lesbian Chamber of Commerce and became uh, a certified chamber of commerce. And you decided you needed to do some sort of programming that reached out into the community. But why the expo? There were other things you could have done. Well, we felt like an expo would provide um, an entertainment type of a space that allowed people to connect with each other and continue to grow the community. Um, as we saw it, for us, we wanted to build out our directory, and that was probably the best way that we felt like um, to accomplish that goal. Got it. So the community got something out of it, and you all got something out of it, too. You're, you're building out your directory. Uh, let me put you on the spot. Who came up with the idea? Who who first brought this to the board? And it's like, we, we should do an expo. Well, we had a couple of members from the chamber, as well as a couple members from the LGBT Center of Raleigh that felt like this would be a great event to do. Got it. Got it. And was everyone immediately on board or, or what did your board of directors say when, when this idea first floated? Hey, let's do an expo. There's a lot of pushback. Uh, a lot of the board members enjoy just doing the socials and the dinners. Um, this was going to require quite a bit more effort since we're a working board. Um, so it definitely, it felt like pulling teeth. But we had a, a couple of uh, members from the board that stood up and said, yes, we can do this. And so just to kind of put it in perspective, I think you all don't have any paid staff. So it sounds like part of the board's concern was, hey, we're going to have to do all of this. There's no paid staff member or contractor we can turn to and say, hey, do this or get that done. That's correct. Yeah. And and so the board ultimately decided to do it. But how did you all bring those those hesitant board members along? Well, we started with a small group um, of our 
board members, there were three of us out of 14. And so less um, than a quarter, less than 25%. Yep. 25% of us that kind of rolled into it. And by joining with the LGBT center for such an event, um, we were able to create a committee, if you will, between their organization and ours to um, put on such an event. So, so it sounds like your sales pitch to the board was, hey, we're not going to do this alone, but also we're going to try to contain as much of the work as possible inside a committee. So if you're, you know, if you three quarters of the board are worried about how much work it's going to be, don't worry, the committee is going to take most of the work. That's true. And and so it sounds like that that sold the board. They're like, okay, we're on. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And did you did you have any remaining hesitancy with the board, like when it actually came time to start to ask the board to do things? No, we didn't. You know, we every time we would have a board meeting, we would bring back, you know, key points from what's happening, what decisions are being made and that, to make sure that the board had our buy in and that they were supporting the direction that we were going. Got it. Got it. And. One of my other questions, like, you know, oftentimes an organization will set a big goal, like we're going to have an expo, we're going to have a conference, or we're going to build a building, but it doesn't seem real yet. So what was that What was that first threshold that you all crossed that made you go, oh my gosh, yeah, we're going to have an expo? I think a lot of it had to do with the committee development um, and the history that the LGBT Center of Raleigh had with past events. Um, so they were bringing to, ta- to the table some of those experiences that they've had. So crossing that threshold, it really made it seem like, hey, this is definitely doable. We can make this happen. Wow. Very cool. It's funny. In my head, I thought, and I'm wrong, but I thought you were going to say, well, when we signed the contract for the space at the university, that's when we're like, well, we guess we're going to have an expo. But apparently it was actually once you developed a partnership and you said, okay, this is an organization that's done something like this before. Yeah, definitely. And I think a lot of it has to do with, you know, supporting and building each other up to say, hey, you can do this. You've got this. Um, Definitely, you know, that was a huge driver that got us going. Yeah. You know, I, I always encourage organizations that I work with to understand that even once you've crossed that first threshold and you see, okay, this can be a reality, things are still going to get in the way. There's still going to be obstacles and tests and and that kind of thing. What are what are some of those things that you all faced? You know, so you you've now got a committee, you're like, yeah, wow, this is going to work out. We're going to have an expo. Like, so what what were some of the things that the universe threw in your way? Well, obviously, since we've never put on an expo of this magnitude ourselves, there was a lack of knowledge. Um so that was probably the biggest. The next was funding. Where was this going to come from? You know, we didn't really have you know, the foundation to put on such an expo. So there was a lot of things that were kind of holding us back in addition, sharing the workload. And so I, I got I got to jump in real quick because I want us to unpack a little bit of this. The first, lack of knowledge. And I hear you because this is the first time you've ever done an expo. How'd you get the knowledge? Where'd you learn? Well, I mean, we kind of broke it down into some basic forms. Who, what, when, where, why. Um, we needed to establish who we were doing this for. We we're trying to establish why we would do this. And, you know, once we went through the who, what, when, where, and whys and filled in those blanks, it seemed to kind of just fall together. I love that. So you, you used really kind of a structure that we've all, we all probably started using in middle school. Like, you know, mm-hmm. when we were writing those essays and you're like, okay, this is how we're going to figure out 
what we're going to do and what what else we need to know. Yeah. Was there was there anything that you had to learn that maybe you did not get by just creating the who, what, where, when, and why? That's a great question. Um, I mean, funding. You know, mm-hmm. you you can you can answer all those questions, but then it's like, well, where's the where's the finances going to come to pay for this? Yeah. Because when we started, we didn't have the kind of funds to pay for the space. However, between our um, sponsors and our exhibitors, we knew that if we were providing an event that people wanted to participate in, that funding would fall into place. And are you allowed to share what your total budget on the expo ended up being? I think it was around 80000 Okay, about 80000 And so when you first did your who, what, where, when, why, mm-hmm. were you thinking 80000 or were you thinking a lot less or a lot more? I think we were probably thinking it was going to be a lot less than that. Um, It's amazing how fast expenses add up, but it's also quite surprising how fast money comes in when you're creating an event that people want to be a part of. Yeah. What what were some of those bigger surprises in terms of, oh, wow, this is going to cost more. Oh, wow. Didn't know I'd be paying for this. We wanted to make sure that our exhibitors had food and that they were provided with you know, sustenance to get them through the day. So the food cost was a surprising one. But for me, I think pipe and drape providing, you know, individual spaces for each exhibitor that, I mean, who knew how much I had no idea. Could you ballpark it? Because I've I've never had to pay for pipe and drape. Can you ballpark like, and, and, and you had like what, 130 exhibitors, 150 exhibitors, something like that? Yeah, we ended up having 132 exhibitors. Okay. I think pipe and drape for us uh, ended up being close to around four or five thousand dollars. Wow. Okay. So, so really, per exhibitor, you're talking hundreds per exhibitor, not pennies. Mm-hmm. Wow. Yeah. Okay. Good to know. Um. So, so suddenly you've got some extra expenses, and you're like, oh, we need we need more money. And you, I know you said to me, Dolph, somehow the money just comes. But I need to be careful how I say this. I don't believe you. How did the money, how did the extra money come in? Well, a lot of it came from, you know, the sponsors that we attributed or that we were able to get. And it's interesting because one of the the members on our committee, um, she was a driving force to say, I'll get another sponsor. And she was just quick to say, we'll just get another sponsor. And she did. And it's a lot of it came from our personal connections within the community. And that's what I was going to ask when you said, well, it came in through sponsorships. I feel pretty confident you didn't just set up a website and suddenly everyone started contacting you going, my business wants to sponsor. So so talk to me about how you all identified your sponsors, how you solicited your sponsors. Because again, you all were an all-volunteer force. You didn't have staff members to do all this back-end work for you. How'd you do it? A lot of it came from our personal connections to the community, you know, knowing who owns what, what business would be interested. Uh, A lot of the nonprofit organizations that support the LGBT community, uh, reaching out to them, that was also really important. And I think there was a lot of word of mouth, you know, people that just said, hey, this, this is an event that's happening and we're excited to be a part of it. And that we had a lot of people come in from that. Did you put together some kind of a sponsorship pitch deck or document that your that your committee members could take to their network? We did. We had like a small like you know email that that could be sent out. Um, we also had an ad on uh, a local radio station um, that kind of helped drive some traffic and some interest there as well. Oh, so the ad on the radio station paid, or or 
or in kind. Yeah, that was uh, that was paid, um, and I think it was prorated since we were a nonprofit. Wow, really? So I, I once again, I'm going to ask some ignorant questions. I've never paid for radio advertising. What is it? What does it run? I think this one was around fourteen hundred dollars. Okay, and like how many how many ads did that get you? How many spots? So these particular ads were kind of like in sponsorship by. Um, so it would be in sponsorship by, you know, Pro Life Expo um, happening, and then they would say a date, and that was pretty much it. And I think there was probably twelve of those. Wow! And um, again, all ignorant questions. If, was this your local NPR affiliate? Because when you say sponsored by, I'm, suddenly I'm hearing NPR, but I wanted yeah, to check. Yeah, it is. Yeah. It okay. Was. No, and I, I get it. Like that's your target market. I get that a hundred percent. Yeah, we wanted to make sure that our voice was being heard where our listeners are listening. I I love that. I think that's incredible. And so, um, and now talk to me though about your actual solicitation. So you you armed your committee members with this slide deck or this pitch deck. You've given them an email they can send out. Like, h- how did you all how did you all come up with the list to make sure that you were not you know, soliciting the same, you know, multiple people soliciting the same company. And also, how'd you make sure companies actually got solicited? Because, you know, we've all been on those committees where someone says, oh, I'll talk to my friend Tad over at XYZ Business. And the event comes and goes and Tad was never contacted. Right. You know, um, of course, it was a learning process for us. We had one of our committee members' husband is a programmer, a developer, and he built an amazing system for us on the back end. And that system provided us with a lot of checks and balances to make sure that communications are being made when somebody would register um, to be an exhibitor or a sponsor. We would then flag it with who was the point of contact within the committee. So that way it was easy to keep track of who's talking to who. Got it. Got it. And and would you, if you were to guesstimate like how many months total did you all spend getting sponsors? Oh, geez. The first, so, you know, there's two parts to the expo. There's pre-COVID and there's post-COVID. So the work that went into pre-COVID, there was a lot of, um, I think we probably had about three or four months of like active, you know, let's fill the uh, exhibitors and sponsors positions. And and just so I understand, did you start planning then in 2019 or 2020? Because I know COVID was like spring 2020. Yeah. So the expo, which actually took place in 2022, um, was started planning in 2019. So this is a long rollout. Wow. That's a very long rollout. And not intentionally, of course, that had everything to do with COVID. Yeah. And and as COVID delayed everything, were there any any doubters? Anyone who said, you know, we're just losing momentum on this expo. Let's just, let's kill it. Let's not do it. No, actually, it's quite the opposite. It's interesting, though, like our board members were exhausted, or I should say our committee members were exhausted. So when COVID happened and we had to postpone the event, we lost a lot of the team and we had to reformat. And of course, because COVID took a good year or two for people to, you know, be comfortable to go back out in public again. Um, that gave us time to kind of rebuild that foundation. But in regards to our sponsors and exhibitors, and this was this is the part that gives me goosebumps because we had a huge percentage of exhibitors and sponsors who had previously signed up that said, keep our money. We want to be a part of this and we're 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 in it for the long haul. We're we're here with you. 
And that was probably a good 90% of our givers and sponsors that signed up previously. That's awesome. So, but it does then sound like you had to essentially relaunch your committee, which I don't think is unusual, even when there isn't a pandemic. I've often seen when an organization does an event for the first time, the some set of that first generation of committee members are, are at some point like, oh, this is this is more than I signed up for. Yeah, between COVID and the team breakup, that was quite an ordeal. Um, re- reformulating that foundation for the committee that was that was paramount. You know, we reached back out to the uh, LGBT Center of Raleigh to ask for their support, and of course, that's when you were you came in. And uh, we re- restructured that committee, but it was important for me that as many voices from the community were at the table in those discussions, mm-hmm. because it's easy for one organization to just put on an event, but then it's all one-sided as far as what the focus is. But when I came up with the name for Pride Life Expo, it was important that it was an expo for people of all ages. You know, I would love to get to the point of retirement where this continued event happens and people come up and say, I've been going to this since I was a kid. And I keep going because there's something important and valuable for me at every stage of my life. And that's what, that's what an event like this should be. That's awesome. And, and that's certainly my impression. Like when I walked in that room, that's what I saw. I saw, I mean, I did not see a lot of people in strollers, although I did see some, but I saw, you know, teens all the way up to, you know, older adults um, and everything in between. I also saw all identities there as well, which was also a really incredible experience to walk into that room in, in the Raleigh region and see all identities there. I've got a couple questions though before we kind of get to that. Okay. And, and you had a great event. Um, so one of the things I'm really struck by is you kind of relaunched your committee. I'm thinking this in my head, maybe only six to eight months before the actual event. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we had to. It made it easy because we already had the systems in place and we already had a large exhibitor and sponsorship foundation that was already committed to the event. So to get back to work and launch the expo, it was, you know, a lot of that work had already been done. Um, It was connecting with the community and the attendees and volunteers is the work that still needed to be done. Got it. Got it. Yeah. And so it does kind of sound like there was this bless and release so that you could bring in new energy and really bring this across to the finish line. Oh, definitely. That that's awesome. And again, I mean, the event was incredible. But I I have a feeling there's a long term impact from this event as well. You've done your first one, right? When I say you, really, um, Harmony, the North Carolina LGBT plus Allied Chamber of Commerce. It is a mouthful, but um, you know, has has you know has done their first one. What what is the future like? What is what's happening next year? Yeah, so that's really you know what's super exciting. Um, the feedback that we received from all the exhibitors and sponsors was overwhelmingly positive. In fact, I don't think that we really had any negative feedback from the expo. Uh, there were a number of exhibitors that said that they participated in other similar events in the past. And this was by far the best they've ever been a part of. And it was large in part due to our commitment to making sure that they felt welcomed. And 
you know, ushered them in to their spaces. Just a lot of hold handing uh, to get them. And I think a lot of hold handing was for us too. But going forward, the Pro-Life Expo looks forward to bigger and better events in the future. You know, we, when we rolled out with this one, we wanted to keep it short, sweet, you know, simple. And then, but as a platform that we could build off of. Got it. So, you know, I'm hoping our listeners are going to hear this conversation and walk away and think, yeah, I've been wanting to do that. My organization has been wanting to do that big conference or that big expo or that big event that brings lots of people and organizations together. And so I think what would be really helpful for the listeners when you all did your postmortem, and and I know the chamber has their act together, so I know you all did some sort of a po- postmortem. What would you have done differently? Besides, of course, not had COVID. Um, like you know, we we all agree, had COVID not occurred, it all would have been better. But besides that, like, what would you all have done differently? Gosh, it's so hard to so hard to identify. Like we we are constantly trying to find ways of improvement. I mean, because we're not going to say that we're perfect. We're not. There, there's there's small, minute, individual pieces throughout the expo that could have just been better or better polished or, I think, improving our communications ahead of time, um, finding new avenues for marketing and getting the word out, I think could have been, is something that we could have done. You know, there's there's I, there's things that we've identified to streamline the workflow a little bit more and automate as much of it as we possibly can uh, to keep future committees for the expo as light of work as possible for them. Yeah. It's just, there's no big red flag that said, Oh, we definitely have to do this differently next time. Um, Everyone that we've talked to said, we look forward to the next year and we're definitely going to sign up. That's awesome. So let let me ask, ask you this then if we have a listener right now who is thinking okay natalie my organization wants to do a big conference what what advice would you give them so they're in a similar place you all were in say 2018 and that you know maybe they don't have staff they don't have a lot of staff and they have a big idea but don't have a roadmap what's your advice my advice is start small don't chew off more than you can handle. Answer those who, what, when, or whys and formulate something off of that. The first year, it's not going to be the biggest and the best and the greatest. You're going to have something to work from. And after that first year, you can build off of that. And it will, next year, it'll be bigger. And the year after that, it'll be even bigger than that. Oh my gosh, Natalie, you're a rock star. You're a rock star. You're a rock star. Thank you. Thank you. Now, you know, I'm not going to let you go without an off the map question. And I've gotten to know you a little bit over the last few months. And I understand, understand, I also understand that you are a scuba diver. I am. And while this does not involve scuba diving, I don't think, I'm still, I had to throw that in because it's going to add some intrigue to my question. Mm -hmm. Um, You found a shipwreck. Oh, yes, I did. And so, and not when you're scuba diving. No, not when, <laughs> not while I was scuba diving. Those are two separate things. Um, yeah, I did. I found a shipwreck shortly after Hurricane Sandy just off the um, Outer Banks. And it was interesting because I was the only one on the beach. 
and Hurricane Sandy wiped away about 10 feet of beachfront. So there's 10 feet deep of sand that just got washed away from Hurricane Sandy. So I took my metal detector out there and found a shipwreck. Um, I just dug it up with my bare hands and uncovered as much of it as I possibly could. I contacted the North Carolina Historical Society or something along those lines. And I asked them about that. And they said, oh, this shipwreck alley, there's thousands of shipwrecks along the coast. This is a normal thing. We're pretty sure that one's already been documented. But they could never provide me with any documentation about that particular shipwreck. But I can assure you, it was a cold December stormy day. And I'm standing out there by myself on the planks, these wide hand hewn planks with brass rivets, just my imagination just going wild, wondering who was this? Where were they going? What were they transporting? How many lives were lost? You know, all of that, that went into it. And I'm just like, God, I don't know. I get goosebumps when I think about it. Yeah. Wow. I have to admit, I've, I've never seen a shipwreck other than like in, you know, TV documentaries on PBS. I've never seen a shipwreck, but um, wow, what an experience. What an amazing experience. Have I sent you pictures of it? No. And, and I would love to put some pictures in the show notes of the shipwreck. Yeah, I can do that. That's awesome. Thank you. Thank you. Thank yeah. you. Well, no, you're welcome. Natalie, I want to make sure that listeners know both about you and how to get a hold of you, as well as about Harmony, NCLGBT plus Allied Chamber of Commerce. So I think the URL for Harmony is harmonync.org. Um, and so you can go there and you can find out more about what the Chamber of Commerce is doing. You can also find out about Pride Life Expo, because I'm sure they're going to be putting some information up there. Additionally, listeners, I want to make sure that you know about Natalie's business, which is Sticky Life. Sticky Life is such an incredible business. If you need bumper stickers made, if you need stickers made, if you need um, those, I forgot what they're called, but like the, those vinyl window stickers made, Sticky Life does all of that and more. And I want to share with you, I've actually become a customer of Sticky Life, and I want to share with you how I became one. So we just completed a strategic planning project, and we loved, 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 loved working with this client. And part of what we do when we do strategic planning is we help our clients develop a concise, clear, crisp mission. And we have always said, you know, this should be a mission that fits on a bumper sticker, so 10 words or less. Now, I never thought up to this point, oh, but we should give our clients bumper stickers with their new mission once they've approved their strategic plan. But I got to know Natalie. I saw what she was doing, and I had this little brainstorm. I was like, oh, yeah, we should 100% give this this client bumper stickers with their new mission. So I went online, and for about 100 bucks, I got 25 magnetic bumper stickers because Lots of people are a little bit weird about putting a sticker on their car if they don't think it'll come off. So, and again, about a hundred bucks, I got 25 magnetic bumper stickers and it was perhaps one of the best ways I've ever, ever, ever said thank you to a client because it was based on their mission and it was mission driven. So if you're looking for something to really support your mission, you know, there's no better way than if you're in a city where lots of people drive, do something something like a bumper sticker. There's a lot more that you can do at stickylife.com. And I'll share with you, Natalie has offered a really great discount, 30% off your entire order if you use the code NOHATE30. 
30. That's no hate 30. And the reason that Sticky Life is using no hate 30 is they're a value-based business. And that's the kind of business that we like to do business with. Hey, Natalie, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. You're more than welcome. I'm so glad to be here. All right, listeners, don't forget, if you did not have a pencil and could not write down HarmonyNC.org or StickyLife.com, you can always go to SuccessfulNonprofits.com and get all of the URLs in the show notes. Additionally, if you want to see this shipwreck, we're going to get some photos. We're going to put it up on the show notes as well. Finally, listeners, I got to ask for a quick favor. If you found this episode useful... If you've been thinking about doing a big conference or a big event that's going to bring people and organizations together, you know, forward it to some colleagues or some board members. This is inspiration. Like, you know, it's possible without even having staff to do something that's big and that will live beyond your board's term. So please make sure that you forward this episode to somebody. And if you found this episode useful, there's two that I want you to consider downloading and listening to. The first is episode 241, Content Marketing Gold with Rick Smith. And the second is episode 246, Attention-Grabbing Marketing with Dan Shepling. Because if you're going to be putting together a big conference or expo, it's all about the marketing. That, listeners, is our show for this week. I hope that you have gained some insight to help your nonprofit thrive. And I always pause for a couple seconds and then sigh because I really don't love having to say this every time, but the lawyers make me say it. I'm not an accountant nor an attorney, and neither I nor the Goldenberg Group provide tax, legal, or accounting advice. This podcast is for informational purposes only. Why? Because no one should rely on a podcast for tax, legal, or accounting advice. If that's what your organization needs, please find a licensed qualified professional that specializes in the exact type of counsel you need and get the advice you need.